If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. The book of Job is more than just a catalog of one man's pain and suffering. It's a triumphant testament to the greatness of God. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes us back to Job and considers the many ways in which God demonstrates His greatness. Continuing the series, Making Sense of It All, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, How Big Is Your God? And thank you for joining us for Turning Point. We appreciate your joining with us, and you're a part of a huge congregation that spans uh, this country and many countries around the world. The International Ministry of Turning Point is quite um, quite a picture to see when you look at the map. And wherever you are, uh, whatever time it is where you're listening to this, we welcome you to the study of God's Word. Our highest joy and greatest privilege is to direct you to the Scripture, because we know the power it has uh, to encourage and strengthen and build your life. Today, we're going to continue our discussion of this question that we started talking about yesterday. How big is your God? And we're not talking about a measuring God. We're talking about measuring your appreciation of who he is in your life. According to your God, your life will be. And uh, that's very important for you to understand. We'll get to this in just a moment. I have a couple of reminders uh, for you. As we move toward the end of the month of February, you may want to order the study guide and the CD package for this series of messages, Making Sense of It All. Uh, these messages, as I told you at the beginning, were chosen because of their uh, powerful uh, application to you in the situation in which we all find ourselves. We wanted these messages to be an encouragement and a strength and a source of uh, direction and blessing for your life. If you'd like to have all of these messages on CD and the study guide that aligns all of them, you can get that from Turning Point, and our website is davidjeremiah.org. Go there. You'll see it's real easy. You can order it and it'll be sent right to your home. And there you'll also find out about our magazine, and we'll send the next issue of our magazine to you absolutely free if you just ask for it. Uh, so much available from Turning Point to add value to your life spiritually. That's our goal, and that's our hope. Now let's get back to part two of How Big Is Your God? People sometimes want to come to God and on their own terms and invent their own salvation. They say, I promise I'll be a better person. I promise to reform, but reform is not what God wants from us. Our Lord is not in the business of reforming people. He's in the business of renewing people. He doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make us new. He doesn't want to take the old us and clean it up. He wants to make a new us. He wants to make us born again. God desires our repentance and our relationship, not our reform. It's not enough to say to God, I'm guilty, but I'll try not to do that again. 
What God demands of us is unconditional surrender, completely giving up the right to run our own lives. This is what God seeks from us, and he will not accept any other basis for a relationship with him. You cannot change God's mind about what he has declared in his word. So we have here a denial of the justice of God, a defense of the justice of God, and then in the 35th chapter, we have a description of the justice of God. And I'm just going to cover this quickly so you can just put it in your notes and you can think about it later. But this is incredible theology, incredible truth. Number one, God's justice is not affected by our words. Verses 1 through 3, chapter 35. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? And once again, Elihu is instructing Job. And he's actually saying to Job that no matter what he may have said or not have said, it doesn't make any difference to the character of God. Listen to me. God's justice is not affected by our words. God is just because it's his nature to be just. He is just whether my words match up to that or not. I can say anything I want, and it has no impact at all on the justice of God. Because his justice is who he is. It's a part of his character. It's a part of his nature. You do not have, nor do I have, the power with the words of my mouth to change the nature of God. That's what Elihu was saying to Job. Job apparently thought if he said God was unjust, he'd get a hearing. God isn't going to be affected by what you say. Number two, God isn't affected by our works. In verses 4 through 8, I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. Elihu says, Job, why don't you just look up at heaven for a moment? You see how far the clouds are up there and how far they are above where we are? That's how far God is from you. Job, do you actually think that something you do can change who God is? Do you think that by your rebellion you can make God different? Do you think by your righteousness you can make him different? Eli was not saying that good works do not have merit. He is saying that our works, whether they're good or evil, cannot change the nature of God. God cannot change for the better because he's perfect, and he cannot change for the worse because he's holy. So do what you do, say what you say, you'll have to deal with it, but it doesn't have anything to do with who God is. Don't say God is unfair, because if he's unfair, he can't be God. And you can say it, but it doesn't make any difference. Every time I preach the gospel... Someone will say to me, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I just need you to know, I just don't happen to believe that. And I've gotten bold here lately and said, you know what? You may not believe it, but that doesn't make it untrue. We sort of have the idea that, well, if I don't believe it, then I don't have to believe it. Well, it's true whether you believe it or not. And if you don't understand that now, there will come a day when you will understand it very clearly. The truth is the truth whether we believe it or not. God is just whether we accept it or not. It makes no difference what we do or what we say. God is who he is, and he's not changeable. He is the immutable, unchanging God of the universe. God's justice is not affected by our words or our works, and it's not affected by our ways. Notice verses 9 and 10. 
because of the multitude of oppressions they cry out they cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty but no one says where is God my maker who gives songs in the night I remember when I was a student in college for as long as I could remember I loved radio and some of you remember this when I was growing up they used to have a little thing called allied kits and Heath kits you could buy them and they came all broken down and if you had a soldering iron you could build your own radio and I did lots of those my mother used to say David if you don't get those wires out of your room you're gonna electrocute all of us and I had wires everywhere and I was really into electronics and then as I got a little bit older I got into the programming part of it and when I was a student in college I got involved with two radio stations we built the campus station on the campus of Cedarville College which is now the CDR network and then I was a afternoon announcer on WEEC in Springfield Ohio I was a disc jockey I played music, I gave the weather, I did the news, I put the tapes on of all the taped programs, and I loved it. It was kind of hard when you were a student, and one night I fell asleep on the watch and let a record go click, 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 click. <laughs> My father called me on the phone and said, for Pete's sake, David, wake up, and I did. <laughs> one of the things that I did when I was an announcer is I got to put all these wonderful programs on the air. This is a Christian FM station. One of the programs was a program produced by the Moody Bible Institute called Songs in the Night. I didn't know it until this week. They got the name of that program right out of this text, Songs in the Night. It was produced by a guy named Bill Pierce, who was at one time a professional trombonist. He was one of the greatest trombone players you ever heard in your life. And then he got into radio, and he had a blessed voice. He had this deep, sepulchral voice. And at midnight, when he talked real soft, it was so soothing and he used to play music at night that was real laid back, mellow. And he played that music in the night for people who were going through night, not just as a day part, but they were going through the dark night of the soul. And I used to love putting him on and listening to him. He was just such a pro. You know, research shows that newborn babies have no fear of the dark. After all, they just spent nine months in the darkness of the womb. We put nightlights in the nursery so we can see the babies, not so they'll be unafraid. But a strange thing happens to us as we start to grow up. Children develop night fears, imagining creatures outside their windows or monsters under their beds. And as we age, as we get older, those nighttime fears become even more sophisticated Many of us struggle every night with letting go of our worries so we can sleep. I've had sleepless nights, as I'm sure you have. How many of you have ever struggled with sleep? Let me see your hands. Now I know why you all sleep in church on Sunday. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I want to just give you a little something special today that I discovered this week that was a blessing to me. I want to give you seven passages from the Psalms to help you sleep at night. Here's the first one. Psalm 4.8. Read. I will both lay down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 42.8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. Psalm 63.6. When I remember you on my bed... I meditate on you in the night watches. Psalm 74, 16. The day is yours and the night is also yours. Psalm 121, verse 4. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 127 verse 2. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Psalm 149 verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Now, if you are an insomniac and you're married to someone who is not, you may not want to try that last verse because singing aloud in the middle of the night may not be a good thing. But these are wonderful truths from the Word of God. In fact, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher, once said it this way, They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep, and no pillow is so soft as a promise No pillow is so soft as a promise, and these are promises from God. I would suggest to you, if you have trouble sleeping, that you just take those seven verses and memorize them and just repeat them in the night. One guy said it this way, if the Lord's going to stay awake all night, I'm going to sleep. There's no sense both of us staying up. Amen? (laughs) Amen. So Elihu was saying to Job, Job, God's justice is just, but even when it doesn't seem like he's removing our burdens. Even then, he always gives us strength to bear them, and that strength oftentimes is like a song in the night. Hallelujah. And so many times he's done that for us. When I was so sick a few years ago, and I was taking medication for the pain, and it was morphine, and I don't do morphine too good. I hope I don't ever take that again. It kind of made me crazy. And you wake up with a start, and you know you don't know where you are sometimes. And I just got my Bible and stuck it right by my bed, and I had it open to Psalms. And as soon as I'd wake up, I'd just get it, and I'd start reading the Psalms. And I'd read them, and God so ministered to my heart. You know, when you're in the hospital and you can't sleep, you don't read Leviticus, right? <laughs> you read Psalms. You read Psalms because Psalms is going to help you. And so I recommend that. You can find songs in the night whatever you're going through. Now, I want to answer the second question. The first question that Elihu answers for Job is this. Is the God we serve a just God? And the second question he asks is, is the God we serve a great God? Because you see, Job in his questioning about what's happening in his own life has come to the conclusion that either God is unjust and won't help him or God is just maybe not able to help him. So Elihu's going to help him understand the greatness of God. Now, I've chosen some passages, and I'm going to give you the key verses, and you can write those down in your notes, and then I'm going to read just two passages, and then we're going to be finished. The God we serve is a great God. How do we know that? Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. The theme of this section is that God is great and that his ways are beyond our understanding. He is omnipotent. He is eternal. He is all-wise. We human beings divide knowledge into categories and theories, but God who spreads the clouds out like a blanket holds lightning bolts in his hands. He shatters our categories and he confounds our theories. What is there about God that is great? First of all, the mind of God is great. Job 36, 5, behold, God is mighty but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. Job 36, 22, who teaches God? Job 37, 16, he is perfect in knowledge. The Lord is great in understanding. His knowledge is infallible. Therefore, anything that deviates from what he says is false. We should never start with our thoughts, our opinions, our feelings. We must always start with the mind of God. Just remember, if you're in a small group, 
that your discussion can be very, very varied, but it must always start with God. Do you know what happens in a lot of small groups around the country? They get in their discussion time, and they go around the circle, and they talk about what they think something means. And when they get all done, you know what it is? It is a pooling of ignorance. That's what it is. Just a collection of everything. Now, if you go to a small group and the only thing you take away from that small group every week is, oh, everybody else in my group is as ignorant as I am. That's not a good thing. You start with what God has said and then discuss what God has said and how it applies to your life. If you don't do that, you're not in a good small group. The Bible says the mind of God is great. Start with the great mind of God and go somewhere with it. Not only that, but the mercy of God is great. Job 36, 6, he does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. Job 36, 15, he delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Have you ever had the Lord use oppression to get your attention and open your ear? That's what he does sometimes. He brings things into our lives so that we'll start listening to him. We get pretty hard-headed sometimes, and God has to get our attention. The mind of God is great. The mercy of God is great. Notice thirdly, the might of God is great. Chapter 36, verse 5, behold, God is mighty. Chapter 37, verse 5, he does great things which we cannot comprehend. Now, here's what I want to do. We could cover the rest of this, but I'm going to read this to you, but not from the King James or the New King James. I'm going to read you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these next verses because in chapter 36 and chapter 37, there is what we might call a little hymn, and it reads so good in the paraphrase, it'll help you get a sense of it, and I'm going to read it out loud. Here is Elihu's message to Job about God's greatness, about his mighty power. Listen. Do you have any idea how powerful God is? Have you ever heard of a teacher like him? Has anyone ever had to tell him what to do or correct him saying, you sure did that all wrong? Remember then to praise his workmanship, which is so often celebrated in song. Everybody sees it. Nobody's too far away to see it. Take a long look, Job. See how great he is, greater than anything you could ever imagine or figure out. He pulls water up out of the sea distills it and fills up his rain cloud cisterns and the skies open up and pour out soaking showers on everyone. Does anyone have the slightest idea how this happens? How he arranges the clouds, how he speaks in the thunder? Just look at that lightning, his sky-filling light show illumining the dark depths of the sea. These are the symbols of his sovereignty, his generosity, and his loving care. He hurls arrows of light, taking sure and accurate aim, The high God roars in the thunder, angry against evil. Now, I must tell you, if you live on the West Coast, you miss a little of this, because if you grew up in the Midwest, you know what these thunderlight shows are about. You can be outdoors in a picnic, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the clouds cloud up, and the rain starts to fall, and the lightning fills the sky, and the thunder rumbles, and you get a good impression of the power of God in nature. Does anybody understand how that happens? Oh, I know the scientists have got all their ideas, but behind all of the explanation is the God who's being explained. (laughs) And that's what Elihu is saying. The God we serve is great. His mind is great. His mercy is great. His might is great. And finally, his majesty is great. Notice verse 4, chapter 37. He thunders with his majestic voice. Verse 22. With God is awesome majesty. Now, here is the little poem from chapter 37. Once again, I'm going to read it from the message. I'm going to read it as if I think it should have been read this way. Job, are you listening? Have you noticed all this? Stop in your tracks. 
Take in God's miracle wonders. Do you have any idea how God does it all? How he makes bright lightning from dark storms? How he piles up the cumulus clouds, all these miracle wonders of the perfect mind? Why, you don't even know how to keep cool on a sweltering hot day. So how could you even dream of making a dent in that hot tin roof sky? If you're so smart, Job, give us a lesson on how to address God. We're in the dark and we can't figure it out. Do you think I'm dumb enough to challenge God? Wouldn't that be just asking for trouble? No one in his right mind stares straight at the sun on a clear and cloudless day. As gold comes from the northern mountains, so a terrible beauty streams from God. Now read with me the rest of it, beginning with mighty God. Read it out loud. Mighty God, far beyond our reach, unsurpassable in power and justice, it's unthinkable that he'd treat anyone unfairly. So bow to him in deep reverence, one and all. If you're wise, you'll most certainly worship God. Amen. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Oh, Elihu got into himself, man. He started to preach some good stuff. I mean, it's good for us, especially at these times, to remember how great is our God and greatly to be praised. And I ask you again today, my friends, is a God that great able to help you with your stuff right now? (laughs) Is he? You see, what we do when we get in a situation like we're in, we start focusing on our stuff, and we get our eyes off of God. You know, there's a great story in the Old Testament that happened in Kadesh Barnea when the spies were sent into the land. And, you know, the majority report came back, and they said, man, we've looked at all these giants in here, and we're like grasshoppers before them. We can't do this. But there were two dudes named Joshua and Caleb who came out of there, and they said, we are well able to do this. Our God will help us. And the difference, let me just tell you what the difference was. The majority came out of Canaan, and they saw their problems in relationship to themselves and the other giants. Joshua and Caleb came out, and they saw the giants in comparison to God. So how do you get to where Joshua and Caleb were? You have to have a big God. You have to see God high and lift it up. You have to elevate God. He doesn't need to be improved upon. We just need to improve our ability to comprehend him. And when we see God in his holy, high, and lifted up, we look at our problems and we say, God, one day you spoke and the whole world came into being. I know my problem. It's really big to me right now, but it's not nothing for you. So I want to ask you, God, to help me with my problem. And I know you are able to do it. That's what we need to come. We need to come with confidence that the God we serve is not, he's not taken by surprise by all the stuff we're going through. And he wants so desperately to have a relationship with you so that he can not only be your savior and your God, but he can be your friend and your guide. My friend, I would not want to be alive on planet earth today and not have a relationship with the great God of the universe. I am insufficient for these things. But I have a God who is able, and he is willing to come into your life, whoever you may be or wherever you may be, and make a difference that only God can make. So I worship him today, and I honor him today. Amen. Amen. And uh, speaking of worship and honor, that's where this should always lead us, and to a sense of being at peace with what God is allowing in our lives. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about peace in a distraught world.
sound relevant? It is, based on John chapter 14. We are um, almost finished with the month of February. February just kind of goes real quickly because there's uh, not as many days, and it seems like we just started uh, teaching this series, and now we're just one message away from it being over. But I want to remind you that the resources are available to you so you can preserve this information and play it over and over again and share it with your friends and use it for Bible study to provoke discussion. If you want the study guide and the CD album of this February series, go to davidjeremiah.org. There you will see it displayed. You can order the material, have it sent right to your home. If you haven't already sent a gift to Turning Point during the month of February and asked for your copy of Rob Morgan's 200-page book on Romans 8.28, there's still time for you to do it, but you don't want to wait much longer. When we finish the last broadcast of the month of February, this opportunity goes away, and we'll have a new uh, resource for the month of March. So if I look at the calendar right, you got about three broadcast days left to do this, and I want to make sure you get this book. You know, there there are many books that you should have in your library. This is one of them. You're going to need Romans 8.28 sometime, so make sure you get this resource and have it available. And we'll see you next time on this good station. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God using Turning Point in your life? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's Book of Comfort and Encouragement. God works all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series, Making Sense of It All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. 
Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Jeremiah Legacy Society.